If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. Welcome to Back in America, the podcast. I'm your host, Stan Bertelot. 24 years ago, I was living in Washington, D.C. while studying at the University of Maryland. I came back to America in August of 2016, this time with my family. It was just a few months before Trump's election. As I settled in the U.S. and tried to understand why Trump got elected, I noticed how much this country had changed. I believe that two major crises have determined the shape of what the country is today. The terrorist attack of 9-11 and the subprime economic crisis in 2008. Then came Trump, a man loved by half the country for being an anti-elite, playing tough and speaking his mind, and hated by the other half for pretty much the same reasons. Trump has polarized America and the world at large, pushing what we thought was politically possible. Lies and mediocrity became the new normal. For a year now, with this podcast, Back in America, I have been exploring and questioning America's culture, value, and identity. In every episode, I ask my guests, what is America? Quite often, they say that America is a story, an idea in the making. By many standards, the 2020 election is historical and will once again help define what America is. The pandemic, the foreign interferences, the mistrust in the democratic vote process, and now the legal attacks against Biden's victory. I have asked Americans what they thought of the outcomes of the election. Here they are. Right now, the results of the election are not fully called yet. We have a, um, you know, obviously Biden is uh, leading in all of these states, but Trump has the right to legal challenges of the states that are in question right now. Right now, I think that we're preparing for a Biden presidency. He is leading, but Trump has the right to challenge, and it's not over until there's final decisions in the courts. Jack Hoffman is 29-year-old. He is the president of the Tampa Bay Young Republicans. We knew that mail-in voting was going to be a problem. We knew that this was going to cause chaos when Pennsylvania was allowing people to um, vote after the election through and, and counting votes three days after and not counting until the election day. They, the chaos was written on the wall. Donald Trump was declared the loser around the country for a week now, and over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. Not one case of looting, not one case of uh, rioting, no protests other than flag wavings, marches. Uh, Nothing violent has happened in this country when Donald Trump was declared a loser. If Donald Trump is for some reason declared the winner in the courts in a few months or in a month, then 
you will see riots again, you will see protests, you will see all of the anarchy that the left has when they don't get their way. I, I will agree with almost everyone else in the country. When Joe Biden was called as the winner this past weekend of the 2020 election, I breathed a sigh of relief. Mark Charles Yanishia, Sinbake Dene and Nishlim, Dotoy Higlini Bashishin, Sinbake Dene Dashachedu Tulachidni Dashinella. Within our Navajo culture, when we introduce ourselves, we always give our four clans. I refer to myself as a dual citizen of the United States and the Navajo Nation, and I ran as an independent candidate for president of the United States in the 2020 election. For the last four years, our nation has been in a space of turmoil, where we had a president who had tremendous narcissistic tendencies, was adamant about doing things in his own interests and in keeping himself in the center of every dialogue. He was either the hero or the victim of every single interaction he was a part of. And he did things in a very chaotic, haphazard manner. And that led to a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty. And a lot of people were, were feeling very uneasy towards the end of his, of his first term in office. And so most Americans, I think, when he was elected and voted out of office, breathed a sigh of relief because it looks like this phase is going to come to an end. However, what troubled me and what I looked at a lot was there was also this euphoric reaction to our nation, not only removing President Trump, but electing Joe Biden. And the challenge with that is, Joe Biden's election is not euphoric. Removing President Trump might be euphoric. Electing Joe Biden, someone who has promised to maintain the status quo, someone who has absolutely said, I'm not going to deal with things at a systemic level, that's not a euphoric, that doesn't deserve a euphoric response, in my opinion. Now, I think having someone like Vice President-elect Harris as not only a woman, but a woman of color, now elected to the vice president of the United States. That's something I'm actually very pleased we did as a nation. But when you look closely at her legacy, especially as the attorney general in California, where if Joe Biden had a very hard, a very heavy hand in shaping the crime bill in 1994, that exasperated the mass incarceration of people of color. Harris in California was enforcing that crime bill that had the, re, the, the, the response of putting a lot of people of color into prison. And so when I actually looked closely at her legacy as attorney general, both towards people of color as well as towards natives, as much as I see she, she wants to be at the table to see some of these changes ushered in, I also saw that there's this tendency that she's not willing to be that disruptive at the table to usher in these changes, which now made perfect sense why Joe Biden selected her as his vice presidential running mate, because she didn't, has not demonstrated a very large propensity to address these things in a, in a heavy-handed way 
while she's sitting at that table. Key things that President-elect Biden did throughout the campaign, and especially later in the campaign, is he would change our foundational document to fit his narrative. So he frequently would misquote the Declaration of Independence, and he would say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. Now, it's nice and inclusive that he added the phrase as women and women, but that's not what the Declaration of Independence says. And so by not acknowledging what's actually written in the document, you don't have the ability to really change it or even to address it. And so when they use the, frame, the, the phrasing of we the people and they want that to include everybody, that's not acknowledging how our Constitution was written and how it's used today. And so this is the problem you have with the two-party system because they are so supported and funded by white landowning men who do not want to deal with their genocidal and colonial past. They try to skirt over these systemic injustices and dehumanizations that were written into our foundations. And they just say things like, well, we the people now includes everybody, which is categorically false. And so this is where, you know, and a lot of politicians will use the term we the people, but they really don't mean it to include everybody. Um, and even if they want to mean it to include everybody, they're not willing to do the work to make it include everybody. We had a 100-day plan for our first 100 days in office to remove the racist, the sexist, and the white supremacist language from our constitution. We had a plan to actually remove the clause from the 13th Amendment and abolish slavery. We had a plan to deal with these systemic problems in our foundations rather than just deal with them at the much at, at, um, at higher levels, which is changing policies or addressing different laws. But we were we were talking from the beginning of this election of we have to address these at a foundational level. And that's the part the that's the the neither the Democrats nor the Republicans have any interest in addressing these things at the foundational level. Then I called Richard Henberg, a senior fellow at the Post Carbon Institute, a non-profit think tank located on the West Coast dealing with the climate and energy. I've asked him how he felt about the election. Certainly more hopeful <laughs> than has been the case during the last uh, four years. Uh, how much will actually be accomplished, is, of course, is uh, still to be seen and largely depends on the results of the two Uh, senatorial races that are still yet to be decided with runoffs in December in Georgia. If the Democrats can take both of those seats uh, and gain control of the Senate, then there's the possibility for some you know, really significant uh, legislation, something like Green New Deal. On the other hand, if the uh, Republicans remain in charge in the Senate, then uh, very little legislation that's meaningful is, is likely either on the climate front or on a whole range of other uh, issue sets. And what's likely in that case is that uh, President Biden will have to do whatever he can uh, through regulation um, in presidential executive uh, orders. 
Uh, and some things can can happen that way. I mean, clearly the uh, the parts of the executive branch that were responsible for uh, dealing with um, either measuring climate change or issuing uh, regulations, all of those have just been gutted during the Trump administration. The EPA, uh, National Ocean Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. I mean, all of all of these agencies have just been. Uh, kneecapped. So getting rid of the, the Trump political appointees and, and putting back in, you know, uh, sensible trained scientists uh, to head these, these agencies will help enormously. But that only gets us back to, you know, where we were in 2016. Um, and of course, the climate crisis is, uh, is moving onward, <laughs> whether we move or not, so uh, we're gonna have to do a lot better than that. I mean, the fact that the election um, went to Biden and Harris and the fact that they they actually had a decisive victory, it, this hasn't really been uh, explained, I think, adequately or, or properly to the American people. I mean, when all the votes were counted, Biden and Harris probably ended up getting something like 7 million more votes than, than Trump. And that's that's a very substantial. It's a, that's a mandate, mm-hmm. uh, and the same with the electoral college. It's it wasn't just a little squeaky victory. It was it was you know a, a, a good sized conventional electoral college win. I really wanted to hear from David Tribe, a Christian and gun activist, one of my previous guests. Unfortunately, we were not able to schedule a call, but David was kind enough to send me a recording of his statement on the election. Here we go. Hey, Stan. This is David. Here's my statement. And uh, I'm going to read it just because I want to make sure I have it right. So uh, I strongly believe that there were millions of fraudulent ballots cast for Biden. And uh, I also believe electronic votes were altered, many of them, probably millions. And uh, this is a communist coup. The media, which has been trying to overthrow Trump for the last four years, is creating an illusion that now Biden is president. But that's all it is. It's just an illusion. After all, uh, the left is the, the party of Hollywood, which is the masters of illusion. The acceptance speech and all that stuff uh, is designed to manipulate people into believing that the Biden presidency is inevitable and uh, that it's already been accepted when nothing further could be from the truth. They've already been preconditioning the country to accept the possibility that they will violently remove Trump from office, or at least they're going to try. And they are trying to make it seem legitimate, uh, trying to make it seem like Trump is the one who is in error. And I have every intention of uh, being part of those who are going to stop all this mess. civil rights protest and Black Lives Matter have been in the backdrop during the entire Trump administration. I called Shivana Rene Newsom, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Greater New York. Um, let, let's be quite frank about it. Um, for most 
Democratic voters, most people in this new civil rights movement that we are in the midst of. Biden and uh, Biden and Ms. Harris, uh, Vice President-elect Harris, were not our ideal candidates, but we knew that Donald Trump's tyranny must come to an end. As a Black woman, I'm excited to see a woman of color, uh, the first woman, actually take that seat. I just know that our strategies have to adjust. That That's what we're working on right now, because we are still demanding the same thing we did during the Trump administration, as well as the Obama administration. And we have a sympathetic ear right now, as the world could see, and as an embarrassment to America, Donald Trump was a blatant white supremacist and racist. So um, hopefully, and I'm very optimistic, uh, I have no choice but to be, I look forward to hopefully working for this administration and getting laws passed to protect black people in America. The vision for the presidency is someone who unites this country. I think that's the first step for the Biden-Harris administration because America has always been a racist place ever since its inception from the way indigenous people were treated to the way my ancestors were brought over here as a commodity. So the first step for the presidency would be uniting America, uh, changing how we appear on the world stage, and then getting to work. Um, when everyone's on the campaign trail, and I've been on the campaign trail before I've, ran, I've run for office, people make a lot of promises. They have a lot of ideals and values that they're promising to get passed into law. I just want the laws that the laws that would benefit my people. I want them to be written. Hopefully Biden and Harris can unify Congress. If they cannot, I will love some executive orders. Donald Trump had no problem giving his base what they wanted. And I hope that black women especially are not forgotten in this administration because the numbers do not lie. We played a huge role to this election as we always do in every democratic election. Um, I have to work with the cards that I've been dealt. So these are the two people. They are making promises to move forward. I see that Kamala has stuck to her word and didn't go back on um, the death penalty. I know that since she's run for president, she's been talking about police reform. Um, I hope that when... I, I just hope that people live up to their promises. And it's my job, as well as activists, as well as, as all Americans, to hold them accountable. I knew that Shivana had been invited to a very important event in France, an event called the Napoleons. The Napoleon is an annual international event taking place in France. This year it will be in Val d'Isère. This movement is supporting technological, social, political and entrepreneurial innovation. I'm completely honored. I got the invitation about two weeks ago. So uh, January 12th through 13th, I, I will be in France and the topic of discussion is emancipation and what does that mean in past and present. So I'm very excited and honored. Uh, the 2017 speaker was Barack Obama, who you guys have had some pretty impressive shoes. So for a woman from the Bronx, a black woman from America to be invited over, um, I'm extremely pleased. The first time I, I went to Paris, it was my high school graduation present. So I, I have this love for the French. When the news finally broke and I was actually watching CNN, I was watching Wolf Blitzer at the time, and he said, uh, we are announcing that Joe Biden will be the, the next president of the United States. I let out a scream. Uh, 
I was elated. I ran around the house. I told my son and my daughter and my wife. And then I jumped on. I have a, a live show I do uh, every day. It's called uh, Storytime with BDD. And I usually only do it Monday through Friday, but this was a special occasion. So I, I jumped on a, uh, a streaming and I told all of my, my followers, like, you know, this is it. This is happening. And uh, wow. Wow. It was, it was amazing. Cause yeah, I have literally been fighting for this for the past four years. Majid Pedalen, also known as Brooklyn Dad Defiant, has over 751,000 followers on Twitter. There's a saying that says, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. There's, there is none. Even President Obama had his shortcomings, you know, and we adored him. You know, Joe Biden, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Joe Biden was not my first or second or even third choice, you know. Um, but it turned out that he was the man for this moment. That after the trauma, and it literally was trauma that a large majority of the nation experienced over the past four years. I mean, you have a guy who is lying to you on a daily basis. If I were to tell you, Stan, if you and I were like buddies hanging out or coworkers or whatever, and every day I told you a lie that was an obvious, disprovable lie, you would start to resent me. And then eventually be like, you know what, Majid, just don't, please mm -hmm. just don't. But we had no choice. Like this is a guy who was in our living rooms on a daily basis and was telling obnoxious and in some instances, dangerous lies. Thank you for listening. Remember to check the episode notes for further information about the guests, link to their social and online profiles, and also a link to this episode transcript. Once again, I want to thank Jack Hoffman, Mark Charles, Richard Enberg, David Tribes, Shivona Newsom, and Majid Padelen for making themselves available for this episode. Some of the interviews have been recorded live and you will find them on our YouTube channel. Remember to visit backinamericathepodcast.com and to register for our newsletter. Thank you. <laughs>